for authors, artists, writers, copywriters. Bevy's Cottage Formatting and Design is here to help you polish and beautify your book or script and develop a clean professional product ready for print on demand or ebook. Services include book interior formatting, cover wrap design and formatting, copy editing, proofreading, and graphic design. From event posters, banners, book event signage, ebook formatting, even illustration, to back cover blurbs, maps, and chapter header art. I can help you turn your art into a quality package primed for publication, print, and even broadcast. The full list of services and pricing are available on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Feffy's Cottage FD. F-E-F-F-I-E-S Cottage FD. Don't let your good works get dragged down by simple grammatical or visual issues. Come and check out my page today. This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counterculture Rebellion, read by the author. Live streamed on Red Bladed Pirate Twitch channel. Dedication. Chapter 19 is dedicated to my best friend Andy. Andy, thank you so much for being there. From hunting, to fishing, to playing video games, you've been an excellent friend. I tend to keep to myself at times and have a hard time making friends, yet you came along and I didn't have to force it. We didn't struggle to find conversation, we just clicked. I'm glad I have someone who understands what I've gone through with the army and with life as you adventured a similar path to mine. Thank you for having my back and giving me the honor of being your friend. I am truly grateful that our paths crossed. Last time on A Better Utopia, when Yulium and Finnegan stumble upon Lucas, they are informed that Rodriguez and Preston were captured by security for unpaid debts. Things come to a head as Lucas does not want to leave and Finnegan knocks out a hostile Lucas. Tabitha leads the group to a room she promises that Rodriguez and Preston are in and parts ways with the boys. The scent of fresh rain that had just stopped struck my nose. The mud underneath my hands that squished and squashed as I pushed myself up from the ground, all while the tune of the trees and of all while the wind all while the tune of the trees and the small cruel breeze blew through them. I was no longer in the dark room underneath some saloon, but I was where but I was somewhere else entirely, or at least in some sort of make-believe image. The whole thing seemed oddly familiar to me, as if I had been here before, or 
was experiencing some serious case of deja vu. I looked around and scanned the floor below me. No signs of Lucas where I had dropped him or some kind of scuff marks where I had even tripped. I was beginning to get frantic when something caught the corner of my eye and I turned to look and there stood a man in a dark hood that I knew to be a utopian. How I wish I had my saber or my revolver with me, but my flip knife would have to do. I whipped out my blade from my pocket, whipping it open all in one smooth motion and faced the figure. Whoa, easy there, said the all too familiar gravelly voice. I'm not here to fight you. I raised the blade up in a threatening manner. Throw back your hood now. As he lifted his hands to pull his hood, I saw that one of them was bandaged, as if he experienced some severe cuts, and then my memory struck as I remembered that I had stepped on his hand while it hit a glass bottle from our last time we encountered. The bandages seemed very fresh, and a little bit of red was bleeding through, and I knew who this was. As his hood fell back, it confirmed what I thought. You, I yelled at, what are you doing here? I'm a prisoner, just like you. Calm down, there's no need for us to fight, the rough voice said. I kept my blade raised as I spoke. What do you mean, prisoner? Where the hell are we? He sighed a bit, as if this was all very aggravating to be explained something that was should be common knowledge to me. After our little incident, I was arrested knocked out and when I came up to I guess I should say I woke up here so I'm guessing we're in some kind of prison cell that's messing with our heads as to where we are I'm not quite sure maybe some sort of magical room that's meant to torture us or maybe we are on some sort of drug-like influence or it could be a combination of both I haven't quite figured it out that much I haven't quite figured it out that much in my time being here. What was the last thing you remembered before this room? Why should I tell you anything? You tried to kill me several times. Should just gut you now, and then I'd have one less problem to to worry about. I've been here longer. I can... Balaam began, but was cut off. The voice of men laughing and joking could be heard not far from the brush line. Balaam stopped what he was saying and walked over to the brush in a way that kept me in his sight. I guess he was worried about me jumping him, and his worries were right, because the moment I had the chance, I would take him out. It's a bunch of soldiers, Balaam hissed at me. I walked over and looked, and my head spun. This couldn't be happening. There sat five UPC soldiers, all who I recognized, eating MREs around a small fire. They were only a stone's throw away from the very road to the seaport out of Moscow, where in the distance, another two soldiers sat next to a road gate that served as the checkpoint into the port. Then I said, girl, are you ready for the best night of your life? A bald-headed man with a square face said before biting off a chunk of bread. I knew this man. It was PFC Sharp. More like a quick two minutes and a night of disappointment, a Boston accent said. I know that voice. It was Rodriguez. Besides, Sharp, there's no way you could pull the Port Master's daughter. She's way too fine for your goofy-looking ass. The group laughed at Sharp as he turned red, but he smiled big. You'd be surprised, Corporal. I have a way with words. 
You don't speak Russian. Only Wilson over there does. Rodriguez pointed to a, a Rodriguez pointed a half-eaten piece of bread at a smaller man. Wilson looked up from the letter he was reading. His dark eyes had circles under them, and they were heavy. His black curly hair sat messy on top of his head, and his face was covered in stubble, unlike the rest of the men who were clean-shaven. What? he asked. Are you reading that letter again, man? Sharp asked. What, did your wife wrote you some kind of dirty letter or something? No. Wilson answered and went back to reading his letter. Wilson, a familiar but strange tone called out. You need to shave, man. We're not in the wartime rules, and if some high-ranking NCO sees you, he'll be all over you, and then he'll be all over me. I turned over, and there, plain as day, I was standing there. Not me, but the past me, in my uniform, my back against the tree. My eyes looked tired as if I had just been napping. It was odd looking at myself, as if I was only a moving picture. I knew this was only... I knew this was not long ago, and memories began flooding my head, and my stomach began to sour. Wilson lifted his head. Yes, Sergeant. Then stared off at the flames in the fire. Psh! We should be in the wartime rules. Practically have to squash a rebellion every month, Sharp said, mouth full of food. What are they calling this rebellion? The, the witch rebellion? Something like that. I, well, the past me answered. I, the real me, looked over at Balaam. What the hell is going on? I whispered. I told you we are stuck in some magical room or something, Balaam hissed back. We must be in some memory of yours, judging by the fact that that is you right over there. So how do we get out? I asked. Balaam gave me a sideways glance. If I knew, I wouldn't be here right now, would I? My guess is we have to live through this memory, and maybe it will reveal itself to us in time. The thought of reliving this memory terrified me. I'm not doing that. I, I want out. Oh, okay, let me just show you the way out, Balaam said sarcastically. If you want out, live through this memory. I looked over at Wilson. Maybe this was my opportunity to prevent it. I walked out of the bushes. Wilson, hey, over here. Wilson continued to stare at the fire, and everyone else continued to eat, smoke, and joke. No one seemed to notice me, not even the past me who looked to have closed his eyes again. The brush behind me rustled as Balaam stepped out and called, You're in a memory, dumbass. No one can hear you or see you. I whipped around as fast as I could, and I could feel the heat flooding my face. I still haven't decided what to do with you yet. So, if I were you, I would be on your best behavior. Or what? You'll try to kill me, Balaam sneered. I could just kill you first. I pulled my knife back out, flicked my wrist as the blade swung open, and the coldest tone I could muster. I've already kicked your ass, and judging by the how that hand looks, it won't be too much of a fight if I decide to end you. Balaam's face went stoic. He took on a more calm demeanor, but as he spoke... But he spoke as if he had to bite his tongue, not to say what he really wanted to. Let's just figure out a way out of this, and then we can kill each other. I took a deep breath. As much as I hated the situation, Balaam may have had some sort of insight that may prove valuable, if he was actually telling the truth. Why is it just you and me in here? 
I entered here with two other people that disappeared, but yet you're here. Balaam rolled his eyes. I'm not sure, as I'm not an expert in this sort of thing. Any more questions, or can we get on with reliving this memory? Fine. But you stay an eye shot of me, and don't get too close. I looked around. Everyone continued eating and was all quiet. The sound of light rain could be faintly heard over the crackling of the fire, until a sound of a wagon pulled by an ox broke the stillness. A soldier at the road yelled, Sergeant Dunn, we got a wagon coming in. My past version's eyes opened, and he sighed as he pushed himself off the ground. Come on, Wilson, let's go see what these guys want and who they are. Wilson got up without a word and began walking to the car. He walked heavy as if his legs were filled with lead and his thoughts weighed him down. His feet more skidded across the ground than lifting to take proper steps. Anyone know what's up with Wilson? My past self asked, looking around the fire. Don't know, but he's been real quiet the last few days, Sharp said. Rodriguez began cleaning up the garbage from his meal. Ever since he got that letter, he's been different. My past self looked at Wilson, then back at the group as they started getting up. You guys give us a bit of space. Still come and pull security, but try to stay out of earshot of Wilson and me. I'm going to try to talk to him. Good luck, Rev. I tried yesterday, and I got nothing but silence, Rodriguez said. My past self jogged up to Wilson. As he got further away, I noticed that the whole thing started becoming fuzzy. As my past self got further and further away, things darkened, and then went completely dark. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. What just happened? I spoke out into the darkness, and what I remember to my best ability was the direction of Balaam. I think we got too far from the past, you, Balaam spoke. His tone had less bite in it and more intrigue. What do we do now? Yet before Balaam could answer my question, we were standing back in the brush area we had just started when we had first seen each other. Now we start over, Balaam huffed. Need more audiobook entertainment? Want something to hold you over till the next episode of A Better Utopia? Maybe you're in a dreaded show hole or podcast hole. I don't know what you call it. Anyways, you just need something to fill that long drive time? Try Audible Plus. With Audible Plus, you gain access to a vast selection of audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts. You can even listen to my show, A Better Utopia, on there. Get monthly credits to spend on premium titles or... If you like more and you want some more books right now, get 30% off premium books. Start your free 30-day trial now. Click on the link in the show's description. And when you do, not only do you get access to great content Audible has to offer, but you'll be helping the show as well. Finnegan outstretched his hands into the pitch black air. It was bad enough that he was almost killed by the woman who looked more like a monster than human, but now he being stuck in this dark room that had an odd cold to it. He'd rather go back to hanging out with that monster. The cold itself felt different, 
not like a cold would on a winter day or the cold of a root cellar, but odd, like a cold that involved, uh, like a cold that invoked a feeling of sorrow. Yet temperature should not make one feel sorrow or helpless. Maybe it was the dark he thought, which was suffocating. I swear the door was just right here. Finnegan's voice broke through the cold darkness. He waited for a second to hear William's voice. Five full seconds went by before Finnegan started feeling uncomfortable. A tinge of panic began to creep up out from his belly and into his head. William? Finnegan said, voice on the edge of trembling. He hated the dark, and he hated being alone, and he especially hated being alone in the dark. William! Finnegan began turning about in the dark Hands outstretched, reaching for something. A doorknob, a person, a wall, just something to give him some sort of bearing. His head began to spin as the terror of his predicament sank hard into him. Reality struck him like a bad blow. What if he was stuck in here forever, he thought. Finnegan began running. He didn't know why, but at least it was something. Maybe he'd run into a wall, or if he was lucky, the door. But Finnegan knew he wasn't lucky especially after he tripped over something and fell hard to the ground. He was lucky enough to catch himself, but instead of bouncing off the ground, he bounced onto something else. At first, he didn't notice what the feeling was that concrete had been replaced with some feeling of earth. He noticed this right after he noticed that the suffocating pitch black was now replaced with a dim, brush-filled forest. Finnegan pushed himself off the ground as his brain tried to comprehend what his eyes told it. He did it. How did he end up here, he wondered. Jacob, where are you? A voice that sounded very familiar to Finnegan, but odd to hear. Finnegan followed the sound of the strange yet familiar voice that led through the dense brush as he tripped over some roots and fell into the road. But luckily he kept his footing, so it was more of a trip. The road, or more of a path, was barely big enough for a small cart to pull by a smaller horse to pass through. What is this? It's not on any map I've ever looked over. A voice came from behind him. The tone sent a shiver down Finnegan's spine and it made his stomach lurch. There's no way Finnegan's mind raced to somehow excuse this familiar astounding voice as nothing more than a strange coincidence that he... Strange coincidence he was experiencing. He held his breath and slowly turned around, hands shaking at his side. He grabbed a hold of the seam of his pants and tried to surdy himself. He had closed his eyes during this process, but now he had to force himself to look. His eyes pried apart, slowly at first. His vision was blurry, but it came in to focus clearly upon the man that the voice belonged to. Finnegan's heart stopped and a cold sweat began to form upon his brow. Agent Miller took off his bowler and wiped his sweaty head. There are also more tracks, Jacob pointed at the dirt. There lay more of the giant prints that this time had smaller humanoid prints next to it. What are the smaller ones from? Finnegan jumped at the sound of his own voice. It was the same voice that he had heard in the very beginning of his little endeavor. Then his mind really began to spin because he was now staring at himself. My guess is it's the smaller creature. If it were Hannah, I think it would be going the opposite way. And now hunched over Jacob, said eyeing the tracks while tracing them with his pointer finger. Then sketch it, Sherlock. Miller spit out. 
Jacob looked up from the ground. His face was contorted in red, as if it was about to explode from the rage building inside. It was his face of anger. It was a face of anger, and in the middle of that face sat two eyes that if one were more tapered, if one more, excuse me, that if one peered into, they would see thoughts of murder. Miller began his strange, odd chuckle that used to send Finnegan's stomach into a bind. That's what's going to set you off. I have berated you and called you far worse than Sherlock. But this is what causes you to finally find your balls? How odd. Shut up! Jacob pulled it from the ground. Finnegan closed his eyes tight. He knew where it was going, and he hated it. The very thought of reliving what had just happened not long ago sent Finnegan's heart into overdrive. It threatened to burst out of his chest. He still wasn't quite over it. The fact that he had killed a man, and although he knew, or at least thought that he did what he had to do. He still felt sick over it and had done his best in the last few days to shove the memory down as far as he could into his mind as if he was trying to cram down a piece of garbage under a rug. Yet, this didn't even work because at times when he slept, he dreamed of it. And in the last version of the nightmare, he hit Miller in the head, but instead of killing the man, Miller simply turned around and gave Finnegan that horrible smile. Finnegan hoped this was not that dream. Finnegan's mind stopped its fearful thoughts for a moment when he noticed that no one was talking. In fact, the sound of wind in the trees above had completely stopped. Maybe the dream was done and he would open up his eyes and he'd be waking up in that nice inn they were just staying at. He opened his eyes, but immediately wished he didn't. It was as if everything paused, and as soon as he opened up his eyes, the sound of people came back into full force. Shut up, Miller asked. You're telling me to shut up? No, no, no. I tell you what to do. If I say jump, you jump. I hold all the power here, because I'm not the runaway idiot who left his job without permission. I'm the one that could have your entire family locked up. So I own you. You're my bitch, Miller said. His eyes remained. Miller's smile remained, but his eyes still were filled with quite. Uh, his eyes were filled with rage. Now make me feel better. Crawl around like a pig and squeal. I need a good laugh. Jacob stared, his face turning a shade of red that was as red as a ripe tomato. He clenched, shaking fists at his side. And the man shook like a volcano about to explode. Oh, you don't want to do that. Then I'll find someone who will. I'm sure Lilith is around. You three always stick together. Maybe I'll... Jacob let out a yell. Excuse me. Maybe I'll... This caused Finnegan's mind to panic and stir again. He didn't want to hear it again, what Miller had to say. What originally had set him off... What originally had started the dominoes to spin. All Finnegan could hear now really was the sound of blood pumping through his ears. Then he could hear Jacob yell. The yell sounded more like a roar of a lion than a man and drowned out the sound of the beating in his ears. He felt he saw his feet leave the ground and his body flew into Miller with a hard thump as their bodies collided, and the two men toppled to the ground as Jacob's fist connected a hard blow to the strike the side of 
A miller now hatless bald head. I will kill you, you bald bastard. You're dead. Jacob's fist this time connected to Miller's nose, causing the blood to squirt out in an explosion. Should we stop it? Julian smirked as he looked at Rodriguez. Rodriguez continued staring at the fight as he talked. Nah, Miller needs his ass kicked, and honestly, if Jacob kills him, I could care less. How could they be so nonchalant about this, Finnegan thought. Anger began to boil up in him. He was mad. Mad that they didn't stop this fight. Mad that they just stood there and watched. Mad at himself for feeling guilty about killing Miller in the first place. Mad that he wasn't a real man like Rodriguez or Uliam. That he couldn't just be cold like them. He wanted to be like them, but he couldn't. Every encounter or violent act made him feel as though his soul was fracturing inside. Maybe that's why. Maybe that was their secret. Maybe they were just fractured people now. And maybe, just maybe, he would end up like them. Fingen stared at his past self. It was not long ago he was standing exactly right there, behind Miller and Jacob as they brawled with his stupid shocked look on his face, clutching white-knuckled to his trench axe. The very thing he would be splitting Miller's head with. He hadn't tossed the thing away since that day, but it remained on his pack as an ugly reminder. Jacob then sent a swing that was sure to make Miller's head explode, but Miller popped his head popped his hip popped his hips up and sent an overcommitted Jacob toppling to the ground. There was a loud rip sound and a snap. That uh, a loud rip sound that snapped and the real Finnegan out of his trance like a st- let me try that again there was a loud rip sound that snapped the real Finnegan out of his trance like state and back to what was going on the other Finnegan just stood there looking like an idiot with a dumbstruck look alright let's step in we don't need Jacob losing Rodriguez side everyone stop right there Miller screamed, blood running down his face and onto his bare chest. Lilla sighed as she pushed open the door to what had to be the most disgusting place she ever went to. Not because the peppermint pony was dirty or in bad shape. Well, at least the building, but what's the horrible things that went on side? The fact that most of these women were forced into this life and treated like mere slabs of meat for a consumer? Sure, maybe burlesque dancers and the girls who worked in the top floors may have volunteered for this life, but they too were treated as nothing more than better they too were treated nothing better than mere objects. Lilith wondered if these women knew what they were contributing. She stepped inside. No one greeted her, not even one welcome, which was just fine with her. The less people that noticed her, the better. Her eyes scanned the room. Okay, Lord, what next? She prayed in her head. She continually scanned the room, feeling silly in all reality. Maybe she was just being silly. This whole thing could have just been in her head. Maybe she just needed to turn around, go back to the inn, apologize for being short with her sister, and be there with, for her brother's surgery. This whole thing was a fool's errand, and she was a... Then she saw something that caught her eye. At first, it was the elegant woman in the beautiful dress. Lilith eyed the color of the dress that shimmered in the light, which was one of her favorite shades of blue. 
Then she saw something behind the beautiful woman, which made the hair on her neck stand. She didn't know the man or who had she didn't know the man who had a snake-like face and a wicked smile. She didn't know the man who had a snake-like face and a wicked smile plastered on, but she had seen him before, and that was a trouble enough. The pit of her stomach urged her to follow, but not too close, which she thought was absolute crazy. That man was dangerous, and who was she to even consider following him? Yet as the man and woman continued to walk further away, the feeling intensified. This is crazy, she said to herself, just loud enough that she could hear her words that trembled. A warm feeling set upon her, like someone had poured warm water on her head and it ran down into her stomach and then down into her toes, and the feeling of fear slowly washed away, as if it was replaced by peace. A tiny, small, still voice said in her heart, Go. It'll be okay. Lilith swallowed a lump that formed in her throat. No matter how many times she had followed this small voice, it always felt like she was jumping off a cliff. She started with a small step towards the two, and the warm feeling was quickly replaced with the panic again. Lord, help me, she prayed under her breath. She hesitated as she lifted up her foot again to take another step. She wondered, was this how Peter felt when he, was for when he stepped out of the boat before he walked on water? She thought, hopefully I won't sink like Peter. The voice then said inside her heart, if you do, I'll pull you out too. This has been A Better Utopia, Chapter 19, Misery of the Past, written and produced by Counterculture Rebellion, read by the author, live streamed on Twitch channel Red Bladed Pirate. As you guys know, I've started live streaming my live recordings. If you're interested in listening to them or joining in where you can chat with me directly, watch me work, um, watch me stumble through my words, um, join us February 6th for the next chapter. However, if you're just, you can't make it to the stream because it airs at, well, 8 p.m. Mountain Time and you just can't make it, feel free to go to the channel itself and you can still watch it. Or, if you want, you can wait for the audio to come out every Wednesday. Thank you guys again for sticking with me through the process of making this podcast and the changes it's undergone. I know it's been rough because it's really been a rough few months for me and my family. A lot of changes happened and I may be starting a new job. However, I'm committed to producing this podcast one way or another and I just want to thank all of you that listen.